We're in this series, Becoming a Champion, and I told you that there is a book called uh, Turning Pro by Stephen Pressfield that I was reading on my vacation and, um, or my time away, rather. Let's not say vacation, it just was time away. Um, and the Lord convicted me in that book, Turning Pro, because what is juxtaposed in comparison is the amateur that is in many of us, the amateur that hides, the amateur that makes excuses, the amateur that uh, blames and projects blame onto other people, the amateur that is not accountable, the am amateur that continues to walk in circles and go in circles and is con content with just being okay. That amateur, he talks about the amateur and how as an amateur he even had a good paying job, driving trucks, making money, going around the world, but he was doing everything possible to avoid being the author that he knew God had called him to be. And it's the, it's the juxtaposed juxtaposition between an amateur and the champion that God had called us to be. And I looked at the book and I was paying attention to it and I saw myself in so many elements of it. And so the Lord gave me permission to, to enter into a series called uh, Becoming a Champion. And there is an amateur in us and we have to learn to crucify that amateur that lives inside of us so that the champion can live. And so I found myself in the book of Kings. And in the book of Kings, I found myself looking at a man by the name of Elijah uh, and Elisha. And the first message that I preached, uh, Cogbill blessed us the first week. Jason Baker uh, blessed us the second week. And as I entered, I entered into a sermon uh, called The Power of the Preseason. Anybody remember The Power of the Preseason? I won't ask you any questions. I just want to know if you remember it. You can raise your hand. And in The Power of the Preseason, there are some things that I want to remind you about. I left you with in chapter 19, we find that Elijah was perplexed, he was disappointed, he was depressed. This is the same man who was doing wonders for God in chapter 17 and 18. In chapter 17, we know that he spoke and then there was no more dew, there was no more rain in all of the land for three years. He was doing what God called him to do. He was speaking powerful. He was making, he was making moves. He lived out in the wilderness and he was being fed by ravens and he, he, was, he was out there trusting in the Lord. And he entered into another chapter where he had a chance to put God's power on display. And in putting God's power on display, he went against about 450 at least at a minimum of these prophets, these false prophets, these prophets uh, who were practicing idolatry and he, he, he put God's power on display. This man for me was displaying characteristics of a champion until someone put a bounty on his head and he experienced a little conflict and when he experienced a little conflict, the amateur roles that was on the inside of him. And all we need is just a little bit of conflict in our lives. 
All we need is somebody to talk bad about us. All we need is for someone to close a door. All we need is for something not to work out in our favor. And you will begin to see how much amateur you have laying dormant in your life. He began running. The same man who was talking and speaking confident about the power of the Lord, this man began running and he wanted God to take his life because he had no friends. Nobody liked him. Nobody liked his Facebook post. Nobody was in his corner. He didn't have that many friends. And so he was complaining to God, Lord, take my life. He was a part time champion. And I talked about many times in my life, I find I feel like I'm a part time champion. I'm doing good. But when I do good, evil is always present. Come on, Paul, chapter seven of the book of Romans. But we're not going to go there today. But in all of his complaining, God, he, he, he found himself sleeping inside of a cave in a dark place. And you keep living long enough. The right set of circumstances will hit you. The right set of circumstances will will come together and you will look up one day and you're not where you used to be. This man who was powerful, this man who was making a change, he found himself sleeping inside of a cave, a dark place, symbolic for a dark place. The man of God, the preacher of God is in a dark place. Can you believe that? I can. Depressed, despondent despair. God asked him, what are you doing here? Not what are you doing in this place, but what are you doing with this mindset? You got to shift your thinking. He said, well, Lord, I don't have, you know, he's starting excuses. The Lord said, go out on the edge. And he came in so many different ways, but the Lord really came in a still small voice. And the Lord spoke to him and said, what are you doing here? Asking the question again. And he went on all these excuses of what was going on and why things ain't going well. And this is the reason why I'm behaving this way, because someone didn't do this and didn't do this. And this is my excuse and my reason for why I'm not doing what I should be doing. And God told him one thing. I need you to go back the way that you came. And I need you to anoint three people. We talked about the power of the preseason. Anoint three people. Two kings. And one young man by the name of Elisha, anoint him to take your place. Because you're not going to be in the role, you're not going to be in this season forever. And so he goes back and the Bible says that he finds Elisha. But who was about to be the next prophet, this great big position, this great big role. This one that's going to be responsible for all of the prophets in, the, in, in, this, in this geographical location. He, he, he said he finds Elisha. You would have thought you would have found him doing some great things. You, would have, you thought you would have found him leading some people. You thought you would have found Elisha on the top of a mountain. But he found Elisha plowing the field. We don't know how long he was plowing. We just know that he was plowing the field. And then he goes up, he goes up, he goes up, and he, he, he takes off his, his cloak because there is a cloak that the prophets would wear, right? This is a cloak. This, just go along with me, right? Just go along with me, right? And so the cloak is what the prophets would wear. And so when he takes off his cloak because he sees the man who's supposed to take his position, he then takes off his cloak and then he finds 
Elisha, I would have someone up here, and then he just drops it on his shoulders. And then the Bible says that Elijah walked away. He didn't acknowledge him. He didn't validate him because I told you champions don't need validation. Champions don't need to be acknowledged. And so he walked away. He walked away because he's saying, hey, that, that was symbolic for him saying the Lord has called you. He has a calling on your life, but the Lord will not force your destiny to come to pass. You still have to respond. And I told you there's power in the preseason because then Elisha began to run and say, okay, I I, want to follow you. I said that champions are not preoccupied with promotion. Champions learn to trust the process. Because as a champion, as a champion, a champion in training, you learn to plow the field and you trust God with the promotion. We don't know how long he was plowing. Your responsibility is to learn how to plow in this season. Learn how to plow in this season. But the the unique thing in the power of the preseason, because we told you that champions are not born. Champions are not made in the playoffs. Champions are not discovered in in the Super Bowl and in the NBA Finals, but champions are born in the preseason when no one one else is looking. When nobody sees what you're doing, when nobody sees you on your knees, champions are born in the preseason. And what you do in the preseason will dictate and determine how you experience your postseason. I wish I had a little help for the leftovers. But the unique thing about the power of the preseason is the simple fact that he anoints Elisha. He puts the the cloak on his shoulders. You're going to be a prophet if you want to accept God's calling. He's not going to force it. But then he becomes Elijah's assistant. Let Let me get this right. He's supposed to be, God told him to be the prophet, but then he hires him as the assistant. He anoints him and then anoints him to be the assistant. And I told you that although God may have anointed you, the anointing can never substitute your need to be prepared. Destiny must always submit itself to development. Because you don't want to enter into your next season underdeveloped. We got a lot of people who are walking in seasons who are underdeveloped and you can't handle what's going on because you never wanted to submit your mission under someone else's mission. It got to be your way, when you want it, how you want it, but you need to be developed. I don't care how old you are. I don't care how many degrees you have. You need to learn how to submit your mission under someone else's mission until the Lord says it's time for me to promote you. There is power in the preseason. But then I told you, I told you that we ended up, we left 1 Kings chapter 19, 1 through 17. And then we we jumped over to 2 Kings and we found ourselves in the second chapter of the book of 2 Kings. And then we said between 1 Kings chapter 9, are y'all paying attention? And between 2 Kings chapter 2, it was about eight years that took place. What we did not understand is that to become the assistant to Elisha, the prophet, 
You mean to tell me you go out, you about to be the assistant to the prophet? Oh man, you got all kind of luxury. You get to ride in the greatest of cars. You get to be the popular one because you're rolling with the prophet and you, everything has got to be good, right? But then when you look at that word assistant in 1 Kings 19, what we understand is it wasn't just the assistant prophet. He was hired to do menial work. He was hired to then clean up behind the prophet. He was hired to wash the dishes. He was hired to wash the clothes. He was hired to do work that nobody else wanted to do. And I told you that there is something called a shadow and yes, yes, he, you know, many times we think that entering into our destiny is supposed to be cute, it's supposed to be lovely, it's supposed to sound well, feel well. But when we look at this text, Elisha stepping in his destiny and operating his destiny, we understand that destiny is not always attractive. And the moment you recognize and you realize operating in your calling, operating in your destiny is not always attractive at all. It doesn't always look good. It doesn't always feel good. The better you will keep yourself from disappointment. Second Kings chapter two, shadow calling, shadow calling. What do you mean a shadow calling? It looks like your calling. It feels like your destiny. It smells like your destiny. But it's only a shadow of what you're supposed to be doing. Because it's a such thing as staying in a season past its expiration date. Yes, he was Elijah's assistant. He was the assistant to the prophet. He was the supporter of the prophet. But there came a time in a season where he had to step out of that calling, step out of that supporting role. And he had to step out on faith and he had to then step into what God had for him. Because to be a prophet, assistant to the prophet, this meant that he had his 401k. He had his job security. Elijah had a job where he got to travel with the boss around the world. I mean, who, want, who would not want to remain in the job that was comfortable? And so he's in this job for eight years. But there came a point in time where his season had expired and he had some difficult decisions he had to make. Was he going to blend in with the prophets that were around him or was he going to stand out? And when it comes to standing out, it doesn't always feel good. And so and so we enter into a season, we enter into a text looking at the very same text. Second Kings chapter two. And I want to read the same verses. Because today I want to talk, I want to, I want to push it just a little bit further. You can get the sermon shadow call and you can get the sermon, the power of the preseason on the website. But if we enter into second Kings, you pull the scripture up chapter two. I want to read it just a little bit further. And this is what you will find.
When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a world when Elijah and Elisha were traveling from Gilgal, and Elisha said to Elisha, stay here. For the Lord has told me to go to Bethel, not you. But Elisha replied, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went down together to Bethel. The group of prophets from Bethel, there was a group of prophets in Bethel. There was a group of prophets that belonged to the city of Bethel. They came to Elisha and they said, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away from you today? Of course I know, he said. But be quiet about it. I like one translation that says, just be still. Stop talking so much. I know we're in the same profession, but I need you to be quiet. Because sometimes you have to learn how to silence the chatter from the people who are on the outside because they can disturb what's happening on the inside. And so, and so then Elijah said to Elijah, stay here for the Lord has told me to go to Jericho. But Elijah replied, as, a, as, as surely as the Lord lives and as yourself live, I will never leave you. So they went together to Jericho. Then there was a group of prophets from Jericho. They came to Elisha and asked him, did you know that the Lord is going to take your master away? I don't understand. If you know that the Lord is about to take him away, why are you remaining so committed and so faithful to him? I mean, if he's about to go, then you need to go and take care of yourself. You need to be concerned about your life. You need to be concerned about how, what you need to do for yourself and how you're going to pay the bills. I mean, if he's on the leave, why would you remain committed to him? And I told you that sometimes when it comes to your destiny, God... God is trying to take you into a season. God is trying to allow you to experience new transformation, new new dynamics, new things that God is trying to allow you to enter into. But he needs to know that you're first committed. He needs to know that you can handle the level of commitment that the next season requires from you. And so. He says, no, I'm going to remain committed. I need you all to be quiet. He says, be quiet about it. And so then Elijah said, stay here uh, for the Lord has told me to go to the Jordan River. This is what he says. But but Elisha replied, as sure as the Lord lives and you yourself will live, I will never leave you. I'm committed to my calling. No matter where you go, I have to go until the Lord says otherwise. So they went on together. And then there were 50 men from the group of prophets in this region. This is what happened. They also, the Bible says, they watched from a distance. They didn't walk with him, but they watched from a distance. And I'm looking at that distance. I'm looking at the distance and I'm saying, why are they just watching from a distance? Though Why don't they walk beside Elisha if they know? Why aren't they walking with him? Why? And, and sometimes the people in your circle, I told you, they don't want to be champions. They're content with just watching champions perform. I mean, they like the idea of champions, but they aren't going to put the work that it requires to be the champion that God has called them to be. So they just watch from a distance. And then he says, as Elijah stopped beside the Jordan River, then he says, then Elisha folded his cloak together. This cloak right here. The Bible said that he folded it together. I was supposed to come down. I was supposed to show you. So, so he did something like this. Don't expect nothing to change in here today. OK, I'm just going to show you. Right. And so he folded, he bent down, he, he folded his cloak together. And some translations try to communicate that he folded it in such a way that it became a staff, right? He folded his cloak right there at the Jordan River. I don't have to read anymore. I'll just tell you what happened. And after he folded it, the Bible says that he then looked at the Jordan River and then he smoked the Jordan River. He, he did that. 
And then the Jordan River parted like the Red Sea for Moses with his cloak. He just used his cloak. That's all he had to use. And then the Bible says they walked to the other side on dry land while the other prophets were watching from a distance. The writer wants us to know that the other prophets continued to just watch from a distance. And then the waters came back. And then when they got to a distance, a safe distance, Elijah said, "Okay, what can I do for you before I'm taken away? Because obviously, you know that the Lord is going to move me and shift me. And he says, well. You ask me one thing, I'm going to give you two things. He says, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, your spirit. And and also let me succeed you. I want to be your successor. I want to be the lead prophet. And he says, well, you've asked the difficult thing, my friend. He says, but tell you what, if you can see me. When the Lord begins to shift me, then the Lord will grant your request. But if you cannot see me, then the Lord will not grant your request. And the Bible says that they were they were walking. They were walking together. They were walking together. Right. So I'm Elijah, obviously. And so they're walking together. And then according to the scriptures, it says that the first thing that happened was that the chariot came. It didn't say that Elisha saw the chariot first, but it says that a chariot came, the chariot drove between them, and then Elisha saw the chariot, and then the chariots of fire took Elisha up. And then when he took Elijah up, The cloak fell down. Everybody get that? For a moment, I want to talk from the subject. This is very simple. What's standing in your way? You can write that down. What's standing in your way? Elijah, Elisha was following Elijah for eight years. And I want to believe that he had become familiar and comfortable in his role. There's no indication that he was impatient and that he was inquiring, how long should I remain in this position cleaning up behind the prophet? I mean, I do have a level of comfort because I know where my next meal is coming from. I know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, I mean, I'm not really going to press God. I mean, I'm comfortable right where I am. But then if you are healthy and if you are growing There comes a point in time in your life where you outgrow the season that you're in. You're supposed to outgrow where you are. You're too big for where you are, God says. You've been growing. You've been eating. You've been feeding. You've been trusting. Your faith has been growing. And you are too large for for the space that you're trying to occupy. And so God is God. He does not think like us, nor does he act like us. And so he knows 
that the be- he, he, he knew it was time for Elisha to learn how to fly. And so in order to teach Elisha how to fly, I believe there's some things that took place and I believe that he had to make him uncomfortable. That's why I like eagles. I like eagles. I like eagles because you learn about eagles. They're a fascinating species of birds. You look at eagles, they create the largest nests. Some of the largest nests you will ever see. They're comfortable. They're deep. And, and, and I mean, they're heavy. These nests, if you ever see them, they're so large and they continue to grow as the years go by. And as children are birthed, as children go off, they, they continue to grow. They don't change their nest. They are comfortable. And when you think about the baby birds, the baby eagles, the eaglets, the, the, the adult eagle comes and the adult eagle begins to feed, feed the eagles, the eaglets, and everything is good. I mean, they wake up, they eat, they chill, go to sleep. What's wrong with this life? I come, I get food, you go, I rest. But what is more, even more fascinating about the adult eagle is that the adult eagle knows something that we can apply in our lives today. I said it already. You can't have destiny and you can't have comfort simultaneously. You want destiny, but you also want comfort. You have to choose one or the other because you can't have both of them at the same time. And so what the, e- what the adult eagle says is, the first thing that the adult eagle does when she, when, when she realizes that it's time for my birds to fly, is that she begins, the adult eagle begins to make the eaglets uncomfortable. What do you mean how do you make them? The first thing that she does is she changes their level of feeding. She no longer feeds them the same way that she used to feed them. I mean, she used to come, you know, feed, hand, hand feed them the food. They eat the food and then they're still hungry. She got to go back out and get some more food because they just eating up more food than she can bring. But then she changes the level of feeding. She says, okay, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to just hover over the nest. And I'm going to have my food in my mouth. And if they get hungry enough, they have to make a decision. Either they're going to die of hunger or they're going to begin to take the risk of jumping out of the nest to get the food. And so she she hovers over the nest. Because she knows sometimes you need to be hungry before you learn how to fly. Because you stop dreaming when you have a full stomach. As long as you got a full stomach, as long as you're eating the way you need to eat, it's no reason for you to dream. It's no reason for you to step out on faith. Because sometimes God realizes that he needs to change your level of feeding. He needs to make you uncomfortable because you can't be full. You can't have everything you want and fly at the same time. It's time for some of us to learn how to fly. I'm saying that, that, that God then, he begins, to, he begins to make things uncomfortable. The adult ego begins to make things uncomfortable because the birth Birds have a choice to make. Either I'm going to stay here or I'm going to jump out of this nest. And I would tell you the truth. Some make it and some don't. You wanted me to tell you that all of them make it, but I'll be telling you a story. Some have, but you have to still 
take a step of faith. The eaglet is not God because God still got you no matter what. And so you look at the text. I believe God, just like that adult eagle, it comes a point of time where God has to shift. And we look at the text. It's time for Elisha. It's time for someone in here to learn how to fly. I know you don't feel like it. I know things are comfortable. You don't have to be accountable. If you fail, nobody can see it. So you don't have to take a risk because if you don't take a risk, then nobody sees. But if you, if you step out there and you tell somebody you're going to write the book and then you don't write the book, then you know they're going to be looking at you crazy. But if you never tell nobody that you're going to have a book release in October, Isaac, then you never got to be accountable for it, my Lord. And so... There's some people in here that God has ordained, God has anointed you, God has fixed you for this season. And you're wondering why you don't have all the resources that you want available to you. They're available, but you have to be hungry before you get out of the nest. And so God has to deprive your life support just for you to move. So what do you mean? What do you mean? When we look at the text, he says, he says, you asked a difficult thing. I know you, you asked a difficult thing, but what is it that's keeping you from getting out of your nest? What is it that's keeping you from walking in your destiny? What is it that is keeping you from becoming the person that God has called you to become? When I look at the text, this is just part one. Part two is next week. So I'm just going to give you one, two points and you come back next week. And I promise you the Lord is going to rock your world because we got something to teach you at the end of this chapter. I'm looking at the text. He says, if you see me, I'm saying you see, if you see me, the Lord will grant it. But if you don't see me, then he won't. If you see, what, what do you mean? What are you trying to say, God? If you see, if you see, if you see, sometimes our vision is blurry. And, 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 and then, 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 then something happens, though. We're looking at the text. And the question is, what's keeping you from becoming the person that God has, has called you to become? The very first thing that happens is that the chariot comes down. And if you look at the text, round about verse 13, the Bible says that the chariot drove a wedge in between them so that they were separated. And when they were separated... The Bible says that Elisha saw, he saw the chariots. It's back up. The Bible says in chronological order that it came through and it separated him from the person, from the thing that made him most comfortable. Because he wasn't willing to release him on his own. And so the reason why you can't see what God is trying to do in your life is because you're holding on to something that's making you comfortable. And it's not until you release that very thing that's making you comfortable that you will begin to see what God is trying to do. And so I'm simply saying that the way, look at the text. The text says that the, the chariot came, it drove a wedge in between them. Why would it say it drove a wedge in between them and then remind us that it separated them? And then when it separated them, then he began to see, oh, oh, oh. And so I'm saying, if you can't see what you've been praying for, then look at your life. It might be that you're holding on to something that's keeping you comfortable, meaning that you need to take that step of faith so that you're uncomfortable. I promise in your uncomfort, you will begin to see what God is trying to do. 
Because sometimes God will cut the umbilical cord to the life support, the things that are feeding your insecurities, the things that are keeping you comfortable in order to get you where he's trying to send you. So what is it standing in your way? It could be your relationships. So you have to assess your relationships. You have to assess your relationships. You have to assess the relationships in your life because some relationships have expired. I know you love them. I know they've done well for you. I know everything was well. But it could be that you're holding, you're clinging on to a relationship, Isaac, that has expired. And until you release the relationship, you can't enter into the next season. You can't have comfort and destiny at the same time. I just got the priest to myself. But then you look at the text, you look at the text, because I really wanted to talk about the vision. I want to talk about the vision being blurry, but the Lord said, no, another day. But if you look at the text, you look at the text. Okay, well, you mean to tell me that the thing that might be standing in my way from becoming the person that God has called me to become are relationships? Yes, relationships. And we got we to wrap it up. The second thing is this, and I'll come back next week and I'll finish everything. The second thing is that the Bible said that when Elisha was taken up, that the cloak fell. The cloak fell. And then something happened. The Bible said that when he saw that Elijah had left, he became distressed. He became stressed. He knew this was coming. But now that it's no other comfort zone, he began to become stressed, not mourning, not weeping, but he became stressed at the idea that now it's nobody but him and now he is the prophet. But sometimes the enemy wants you to cling a hold of stress because stress can stand in between you and your blessings. The Bible says that he, he was stressed and he's just looking at that cloak. He's looking at that cloak. Whew. Looking at that cloak. I mean, the cloak is right there. He's just looking at the cloak. But the most important thing, the most important movement that happens in the text is the Bible says that Elisha picked up the cloak. He made a champion decision. He made a destiny decision. Champions learn to make destiny decisions. And the thing is this. You can be anointed. You can be prepared. But you still got to make a decision to pick up the cloak. Nothing in your life will ever change until you pick up the cloak. Because as long as the cloak is down there, you're not accountable. But the moment you pick up the cloak, the moment you make the decision, you're one decision away from your destiny. You've come too far. You are too close. God has brought you too far for you not to make the decision to pick up the cloak. Whatever your cloak is, the cloak of responsibility for the season that you're about to enter into. The Bible says that he kneels down and he picks up the cloak. He picks up the cloak. It seems small. 
But you don't get to chapter three, four, five, six, and seven when he's performing miracles and he's changing the lives of people if he never picks up the cloak. I know we want the after, we want, we want the postseason, we want everything else, but you got to pick up the cloak first. I mean, the cloak is sitting there and I'm saying, but what if I pick up the cloak and it doesn't do anything? I mean, what if I fail? I mean, if the prophets are looking at me and if I pick up the, pl- the cloak, then that means I'm responsible. I don't, I think that he was about to talk himself out of picking up the cloak. He's stressed. But then he picks, he, all right, I'm going to pick up the cloak. And then he goes and he stands. And I'm going to stop here. I was supposed to preach to him and stop here. But I'm going to pick it up next week. Because I'm going to talk about the foundation. I was supposed to talk about today the foundation of your frustration, of his frustration. Because the Bible says that when he saw that the person Elijah had left, he became stressed out. You need to release that stress from your life or that stress is keeping you from seeing what God is trying to do. And then, 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 then he, he, st- he stands. I was looking at the word stand. It means that he surrendered. He stood at the, at the, at the Jordan River. But see, you will miss it. Because it said he stood at the Jordan River and it said then he folded up and hit the water. But something happened. There's space in between there. He's standing right there. But nothing's happening. He's standing right there, but the water isn't moving. What do you do when you've made the sacrifices? What do you do when you've made the decisions? But the water still isn't moving. He's standing right there and nothing is happening. I can only imagine that he was in his head. I shouldn't have done it. I made the wrong decision. But the enemy wants you to overthink your blessings. The enemy wants you to outthink your blessings. He wants you to renege on your decision. But you've come to the Jordan River. You need to go ahead and follow through because decision without follow through will equal disappointment. You can make the decision, but are you going to follow through, though? And so he's standing there, he's standing there, he's standing there, he's standing there. Make the decision. You're waiting on God to move, but God is waiting on you to make the move. Because it wasn't until he folded up the cloak. God is saying, use what you got in your hand. It's in your hand. The reason why you, things are not changing is because you're not using what I already gave you. You think that if you don't swing, that you're not going to be held accountable. You're going to be held accountable because you didn't swing. And when he began to swing, that's when the waters passed. All my teachers, educators, Anybody connected with the school system, please come. Let me pray over you. And I want everyone else, I want you to lift your hands. Just kind of lift your hands toward this classroom, toward the teachers here. Teachers, educators, whatever your role is, if you're anywhere connected to the school system, to children, we want to pray over you. We want to release you in the name of Jesus because you have a task on your hands. People don't reward you. They don't acknowledge you often, but you have a task on your hands, and it takes all of us to be able to do this. And I want to pray with and over you, and I'm asking everybody in the room to be able to stretch your hand to these educators, to these teachers, because...
We need to pray for protection. We need to pray for wisdom. We need to pray for understanding and insight because the enemy is going to come at you. Fatigue is going to come at you. Indifference is going to come at you because you're going to want to just, I mean, if I don't do it, then I'm telling you that the enemy is trying to attack you because what you're doing makes all the difference in the world. And I need you to understand that. And I want, to, I want you to know that everyone in this room stands in agreement. They're in agreement as they stretch their hands this way to say thank you for what you are doing, for the role that you play in this system. It may not be the, be- the best system in the world, but the fact that you're a part of it and you play a role is the reason why lives will be transformed. If it's just one child, if it's just one parent, then you've made a difference because I was that child in an underperforming school one day. And we want to thank you. Let us pray, everybody. Stretch your hands. Lord, we thank you for every educator here, for every position that they hold. No matter if they've been if this is their first year or their 15th year. Lord, you know the role, you know the things that they struggle with. They may not have the resources to be able to teach at the level that they know that they can teach. They may not have the support from the people that they need to have the most support from. They may not even have parents who are supporting the children. You know the circumstances, Lord. And right now, I want to lift these people up right now, your children, in the name of Jesus, that, Lord, you protect them. Even if the principal, even if the parents can't protect them, Lord, we know that you can protect them in the name of Jesus, Lord. I am praying right now that you allow manna to fall from heaven, Lord, that you give them the energy that they need right now, Lord. You know the things that they wrestle with. They still have families. They still have things, bills to pay. They still have other things going on in their life. And yet, Lord, they have to wake up and they have to come to their school and they have to perform and they have to teach some children don't want to be taught some children want to be taught but lord right now we need you we need you god to give wisdom right now lord some of these teachers they are already they have an extra burden given to them more than they can handle themselves so right now in the name of Jesus I am praying that they release every burden they have and that they give it to you in the name of Jesus God right now I pray for families to be protected I pray for understanding for the people around them Lord right now I pray that they wake up to give 110% to the children even though they may get pushback Even though things may not be working the way they would prefer them to work right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, I am praying that you begin to break shackles. Thank you, Lord. You begin to loose and deliver children today. I pray for influence for these teachers, that they would influence every child. They would influence every parent that they come in contact with. Lord, they may want to have an attitude one morning, but Lord, I'm praying that you release that attitude that God, they do not infect their influence. 
And I'm praying, God, over these teachers and everyone in this room right now, Lord, we send energy, we send positive energy, Lord, because these, your teachers right now, God, they have a heavy task ahead. Lord, 365 days, we're praying for them, Lord, even through the breaks, we're praying for them right now, God. Lord, we say thank you for these teachers right now, Lord. We say thank you for the job and the role that they have. Lord, we appreciate you. Bless them like only you can. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Hallelujah. And everyone in this room shout it as loud as they can. Amen. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for our educators. I'm, I'm, I, might, I might lose my job for keeping y'all so long. Forgive me. Y'all can, y'all can, y'all can be released. Come back next week. I owe y'all a few minutes. Gonna get out. Don't tell nobody how, what time y'all get out of here. Don't be going in the hallway talking about we got out at 